reason. And uh, we are in week two of our marriage series called It Takes Three. And uh, we use the analogy of, um, of a rope, and we found this in Scripture. And uh, obviously, we like to base uh, our messages on, on God's Word. But um, this right here is a, uh, just a rope. And it's got three strands on it, and the rope is the uh, three strands with it is the strongest rope that, that you could get. I mean, three strands are better than two. But what's interesting, and I shared this last week, is that um, if you try to add another strand, a fourth strand or a fifth strand or even more, it will not get any stronger than three strands. Because three strands is as much as you can have to where all of them uh, touch each other the entire way up the rope. And so it's really interesting uh, for that. Never knew that until I started uh, doing research on rope. Had no reason to do research on rope until, obviously, this sermon series. And uh, based on this sermon series in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, and 10, uh, 9 through uh, 12, and uh, it says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down, they may keep warm, uh, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And here's the key. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So it goes in and saying, look, it's great to have two. Two people in life, that's awesome. And, uh, but, but what's even more than that, what's stronger than that is uh, to have three three strands and talking about three. And when it, of course, we're talking about, uh, it takes three. We're talking about you, your spouse, and, um, and God. Now, there are people here sitting here today who say, well, Frank, I'm not married. And, uh, and that's fine because this message, as, as you found out last week, as we talked about uh, de- protecting or defending your marriage, I shared a lot of things that you can be doing right now to prepare because I talked about how we can defend or protect our marriage before our marriage, during our marriage, and even after our marriage. And I encourage you to go to uh, the website, lakepointonline.com, and find messages there and listen to last week's sermon. But know this, that, um, that we have got a, um, uh, an advocate in our marriage, and it's going to take three uh, to do that. Well, this week, I'm going to talk about how we can define our marriage, how we can define our marriage. We live in a society today where people in special interest groups and the enemy is trying to redefine marriage. Well, God has a, a definition of marriage, of, of this holiness that he has set, uh, set apart uh, from, um, from people in the world who try to uh, get together uh, outside of biblical standards. And so God has set a biblical standard, a biblical definition for our marriage. And so uh, if you're single here today, know this, the things I'm going to share with you are things that you're going to be able to use uh, in your marriage in the future, uh, whether you're, uh, you're a student or whether you are uh, a young single uh, or an even if you're in a situation where you had a, a spouse who had passed on or, or if you're a divorce, uh, maybe God has that person for you uh, lined up, and, uh, and if he does, which um, he will reveal that to you, um, but just know this, there is a definition of marriage. So I, as I was preparing for this and understand how can 
uh, we define marriage. And obviously we can look at a lot of different passages of Scripture. Many of you who grew up in church probably have, have heard a lot of those Scriptures. But when I was looking through God's Word and saying, Lord, who has the best marriage in God's Word? You got, you got several examples in Scripture. But as I was thinking and praying about it, the best marriage that we could come up with is the marriage between Jesus and his bride. Jesus and his bride. And for those of you who grew up in church, and those of you who may like, okay, I've heard of this bride thing before. The bride is the church. People who have accepted Christ as Savior and invited them into their life, and they are part of the church. I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking about the big C church, the kingdom of God. You are part of the bride of Christ. And so what is the definition, what examples can we see between the relationship with Jesus and his bride or Jesus and his church? So we're we'll talking about some of those attributes. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's a profound mystery about Christ and his bride, the church. We might not know, totally understand it all. And in fact, it seems kind of weird. It's like, dude, I'm a bride? Yes, we are a bride of Christ. No, we're not going to have to, you know, uh, <laughs> wear a wedding gown and go through some sort of ceremony to do that. But knowing that we are set apart, knowing that we are protected, and knowing like a husband and a father protects his, um, protects his family and protects his spouse, we have that protection of, of God the Father and of Jesus in our life. And so what are some of the attributes of the church and the relationship between church and Jesus? Well, the first attribute I'm going to talk about, there's five of them we're going to look at today. The first attribute is authority is authority. There is some authority within this relationship, uh, this marriage relationship between Christ and the bride. And we can find that in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And this was actually one of the, uh, the, the passages of his last words before he was ascended up into heaven, before he shared the, um, the great commission statement and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he is supreme authority. God has given that to his son. And so when, whenever we look at the church, who is the supreme authority? It's not, it's not uh, the, the pastor Trust me, I don't want that job. It's Christ. It's the message of him crucified for us. He is our authority. And wouldn't it be great if uh, in our marriage we had a sense of authority? Who is the authority figure in your marriage? Who is the authority, the supreme authority figure in your marriage? If you're single, who's going to be the supreme authority figure in your marriage? You know, sometimes when we have little um, scuffles and, and little disagreements, wouldn't it be great if we had someone kind of step in and kind of help us with that, um, kind of be that authority figure? Well, I've got a, a little example I'm going to share with you uh, on video about um, someone in authority. So take, take a look at this, um, at this video.
One of the things I love about the NFL, they have this thing called the challenge flag. If you don't know what that is, each coach gets a red flag. And if they think the ref makes a bad call, they throw this red flag. The ref has to look at this video replay thing on the field, see if he was wrong, change the call. I think that's a brilliant idea. I want that for marriage. Wouldn't that be awesome, man? Get in an argument, throw the red flag, ref comes out of the pantry. Sportsmanlike conduct on the female. She's told the same story four times this week. <laughs> we got offsetting penalties, repeat conversation. <laughs> Use the red flag. Wouldn't that be great if we had somebody just to pop out of the pantry or pop out of the closet and kind of help us with those things? But you, you say we don't, but can I tell you something? You do. You do have someone, or you should have someone in your life in that authority. Just as uh, Jesus and, uh, is the authority over the church, he should be the, the authority in our life. So what are some areas he could be authority of? He could be authority over our, uh, our relationship with one another. You know, picture this, and this is sort of another, it takes three uh, shape, but the, the strongest shape that you can find is a triangle. The strongest shape you can find is a triangle. And think about a triangle, and think about you have the husband on one point, and you have the wife on the other point, and they're trying to get closer to one another. And, and, and if God, who is a authority figure, if Jesus is the top point, and the way, the best way to, for the husband and wife to draw closer to each other is to draw closer to Christ. And as the female and the male draws closer to Christ, the authority, and understand that he is the supreme authority in their life, guess what? They draw closer to one another. And that is why we need to have authority in our life of, of Jesus and so that triangle is, is a, so understand that that triangle is a, an example of how he can be authority in our relationship. Uh, authority in our finance. Authority in our finances. You know, uh, many relationships are, are broken and, and are ended because of financial issues. Um, and uh, if we, who is the authority in our finances? Who is the authority in your finances? How do you show that you have authority in your finances? Well, you, you, uh, you, you give to the Lord. You, you have a heart of generosity. We'll talk about generosity in just a moment. But you give to the Lord. You show God, God, we are not going to do this on our own. We cannot do this on our own. We need your supreme authority in our money. Um, and so we have authority in our relationships and authority in, uh, in our finances. So authority is one attribute of the, of the relationship between Christ and his church. And the other one, uh, another uh, 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 attribute is generosity. Generosity, uh, and generosity is actually one of our five core values here at Lake Point Church. 
And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. I'm going to read to you a passage that talks about finances, but I'm going to use that with our relationships. So pay very close attention. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, like a farmer sowing a seed, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, you've probably heard that passage before, specifically dealing with finances. But if we're talking about the word generosity, let's focus on the word generosity. The principle of being generous can be used in many areas in life, not just money. So let's take the attribute of generosity, which is, again, one of the attributes of, of the relationship with Christ and the church. We can say that we, um, we can use this principle in our, in, our, in our marriage, in our relationships. And here's how it goes. Um, you get what you give. In that first verse in, cha- in, in chapter 9, verse 6, uh, remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So you get what you give. If you're sitting in your marriage and you're thinking, look, I want, gosh, I want more respect from my spouse. Well, maybe you haven't received respect because you haven't given respect. Or, hey, I want, I want more time with my spouse. I wish my, my spouse would pay more attention to me. Well, maybe, and this isn't the case in, in, you know, situation in all cases, but in most cases, the reason why you haven't received that attention or that time is because maybe you haven't given that attention or that time to your spouse. Uh, the second uh, part of this principle, this generosity principle is give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Give with a, with a cheerful heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. So God loves when couples give of themselves in order to bless their spouse. Not give because you have to, not because you, you're under compulsion, but give it because you want to. You want to give of your time, of, your, uh, of yourself, of your heart, of your body, of your, of, uh, of your emotions. You want to give of yourself. You want to do it cheerfully. You want to be generous uh, to your spouse. So you, you get what you get, give, give cheerfully, and then uh, contentment. You know, in that last part of that verse, um, we talks about um, how uh, God will bless you and God will take care of you and, and, and blessings would abound. You know, many Christians who are not content with the things that they have is because there is a spiritual problem with uh, giving, with being generous in their life. If, if you walk around and you're, you're discontent with what, you, with what God has given to you, there's a good possibility that you're not being generous to God and his kingdom. And the same principle we can carry over into our marriage. When, uh, if we're not content with our spouse, then it's probably because we are not generous with our spouse. Um, you know, um, it's because we're not generous with our spouse is the I think some of the root cause of uh, some of the discontent. 
I, I talk to couples all the time, not just within our church, in our community, and, and, and they're discontent with their spouse. And, and here's the reason why. They haven't had a spirit of generosity. They haven't had that spirit of generosity. So you could take that principle of generosity and not just apply it to money, but apply it to your relationship. So attributes of God is that there is um, um, there's authority, there is uh, generosity, and the third one is unity. Unity. You know, unity makes the church beautiful. When the, when the bride of Christ is unified together, she is beautiful. I love how there's a lot of unity here within Lake Point Church. People ask me all the time, how's the church going? How's the church plant going? I said, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, yes. Uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but I've got, we've got a lot of people uh, catching on and, and owning things and doing things, and I love to see that. But what I love to see the most, the thing that probably uh, talk, uh, that I talk about most about Lake Point Church is the unity within our church, the unity within our church. And so just like the church can be unified, the, um, the bride of Christ uh, uh, can be unified, and we as couples can be unified. And God wants there to be unity within our marriage. So what does unity look like? Well, number one, we need to, we need to be able to speak life into one another. We need to speak positive words. Uh, you know, this works within our church. You know, if you're speaking positive encouraging words to one another, that brings unity. If you're in a small group, that brings unity within your church. If you're talking negatively about someone, that obviously starts to divide people. The same can work with our spouse. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, um, it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, every time I've read that verse, I've read it through the eyes of church unity. But again, this is a principle that we're learning from the best marriage out there, the marriage of Jesus and his church, the bride. But this right here is a, is a principle that we can apply to our life. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths about your spouse, but only what is helpful for building her or him up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, it's not talking about benefit your spouse, benefit those who listen. In other words, if you're talking positive, you're talking encouraging word about your spouse then they hear that, and that hearer, that person that's in that conversation, will, will catch on. They, you know, that person really loves their spouse. And you could be an encouragement and an inspiration to someone else. Obviously, if you talk negatively about your spouse, it can have the, the opposite effect as well. And so, uh, but words bring life. Words bring, um, bring uh, the life words bring unity within you and your spouse. So watch what you say and how you say it. Uh, I've got another uh, quick little video I want to share with you about watching what you say. That's it. But my wife and I, that's the thing we love to do. We love to watch movies together. We got this thing, this Netflix. You got Netflix, y'all? It's awesome, man. We watch all the time. But it's too much. We're watching too many movies because it's starting to influence our arguments. It's so strange. She walks in the other day. Hey, um, uh, did you leave your underwear on the bathroom floor? 
uh, are those your underwear on the bathroom floor? I hope so. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation we need to have if it is. <laughs> I want to know, did you leave her? I don't, what do you want from me? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Honey, we live in a world where men leave their underwear on the bathroom floor and those underwear have to be picked up. Who's going to do it? You, the kids? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep over my hanes. You curse my fruit of the looms. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that my laziness, while tragic, probably saved lives. <laughs> And my undergarments, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, save lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want them on that floor. You need them on that floor. <laughs> we men use words like boxers, briefs, whitey tidies. You use them as a punchline. I wish you'd just say thank you and be on your way. Otherwise, pick up your own underwear and stand to post. Either way, I really don't care what you think you are entitled to. <laughs> did you leave? You're going right, I did! Well, pick them up. Okay. <laughs> That's how we do it. One foot, boom. Never seen a Kit Kat bar do that, have you? No, you have? That's a skill, ladies and gentlemen. Isn't that awesome? But you know, we have, we have those arguments and we can talk to one another in a negative way. And even though we can kind of laugh about it, you know, I got a phone call from my dad just yesterday. And gosh, if, 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 I wish you could meet my dad. Some of you have, and it's an experience. I could guarantee you that. But my mom and dad just kind of have this relationship. Uh, they, they love each other, but it's more of a roommate kind of, kind of love for, for one another. It's kind of weird. Um, but my dad has, uh, I mean, he's talked uh, negatively uh, about my mom, just would throw some things out there, and, and uh, even, even he'll joke about it. Like yesterday, he'd say, you know, son, something's wrong with your mother. I was like, well, what's, what's wrong? She's kind of gotten some recent health issues. She goes, something's wrong with your mother. I was like, well, what is she doing? He says, well, every time it rains, she stands at the window and just starts crying. And I'm like, well, that, that's not good. You should probably, you know, have some help with that. He goes, well, what I come to figure out, she stops crying when I let her back in the house. <laughs> or, he, or he would say, he would say some, some things. He told me this yesterday. He goes, son, your mother and I, we have a psychological relationship. We have a psychological relationship. I was like, oh, really? What does that mean? He goes, well, she's psycho and I'm logical. <laughs> But, you know, we laugh about that, and I laughed and everything, but as I hung up, I was like, I mean, he gets a kick out of that, and he's putting my mom down, you know, so we got to watch what we say about one another. So, so um, speak life, speak words of life, speak those words of life. Uh, also, how can we have unity? Honor good intentions. Honor good intentions. Y'all, this could be a big problem in relationships. Uh, this could provide a lot of disunity in your marriage um, if you don't honor their good intentions. For example, I have good intentions of wanting to do things around the house. I mean, I'll, I'll get started on something. I'm in the middle of a project right now, and it's taken forever. 
But I have this idea of what I want to do, and I have no idea sometimes what I'm doing. And the thing is, my wife understands that as well. So I'll be starting on a project, and, um, and so, so every once in a while, uh, and I would just be thinking, and I wonder what I should do, you know, in a situation. So I'll take a lot of time and everything. And I'm sure Suzanne must be thinking, okay, I wonder what my friend Stacy's husband would do. Steve Middleton. You know, I wonder what, what they would do in this situation. I wonder what, what they would do. But you know what? Here's, here's what I know about Suzanne. Now, she is not calling them and saying, okay, Frank is doing something, and I think it's wrong. I think he's going to blow up the house. I think he's going to ruin some plumbing, and uh, I need you to step in. Now, she might be having those conversations, but it's not getting back to me. So when I have some gentleman come over to the house with some tools and say, hey, Frank, I hear, heard you're doing some projects. Let me give you a hand. I have sort of a, a, a suspicion that maybe my wife has, has had those conversations. But here's what I know that, that, uh, about Suzanne. She, does, she honors my good intentions. She doesn't come to me and nag and say, you have no idea what you're doing. Why don't you get somebody to help you? This, my friend's husband knows exactly what she's doing, what he's doing. He would never do anything like that. Why why don't you get some help? She would maybe say, are you sure this is the best way to do that? And all along, she could be having those conversations. I have no idea. But she honors my good intentions. Flip it around. Gentlemen, if you want to cause disunity in your marriage, talk, compare your wife's cooking to your mother's. Won't be good. No. Wives don't like that. No, no, no. Okay? So you've got to honor their good intentions when they're trying to bake something and try a different recipe, and it just, you know, maybe salt spilt into it, half, you know, you know, a cup of salt, you know, or maybe it gets burnt, you know, or that sort of deal. Just, just swallow it, drink a lot of water. <laughs> I've never done that before. So drink a lot of water and just, just smile and just say, thank you, honey. And you want to honor their good intentions. Y'all, that is huge. That will bring unity within your marriage. Uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. Now, Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica, and he's talking to this new church. In this new church, you are building each other up. Continue to do so in your early age. Let me tell you something. Husbands and wives, you need to build your, your, one another up, your spouse up, just like you did in the early stages of your relationship. You need to continue to build your spouse up. Because let me tell you, if you're talking to your spouse in some ways now, that, and, and, and you, you, I'm sorry, if you talk to your, your spouse um, back then like you do now, there's no way you would have gotten married. And so let me encourage you. Talk to your spouse with good words. Speak words of life and honor their good intentions. Be unified in mistakes. Be unified in mistakes. Again, this is all about unity. Be unified in your mistakes. You know, at, at Lake Point Church, we make lots of mistakes. We do. But let me tell you what. The mistakes we make aren't intentional bad choices. They're more of risk taking. The more of, okay, we feel God's calling us to do this, 
and we kind of go in that direction, but we kind of miss the mark a little bit, and we make some mistakes, and we adjust. We talk about some of those mistakes even in our staff meeting and leadership team meeting. And so, but just because we make mistakes doesn't make us bad. And here's a great thing about us as a church. Again, I'm bringing this down to marriage. We make the mistakes together as a church. We are unified. If we go a certain direction and, and, it, and it bombs whatever we're trying to do, which has happened, we're like, hey, we tried it, we're, but we're good for it, and we're going to go on. And, and, and we, but we did this together because we were unified in this. Can I tell you something? It's okay to make mistakes as a couple. Just be unified on them. Be unified on them. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about bad choices, like, hey, let's go smoke pot together, you know. That's, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's not a mistake. That is an intentional bad choice, and you should not be doing that together. But let me tell you something. Here's what's important about your unity. Disunity arrives in a relationship whenever someone in the marriage decides to do, to do something, and the other spouse did not want to go along with it, and there's a mistake, and there's the blame game that happens. But here's how to fix that. If you're going on to doing something and you don't have the, the approval of your spouse, and if their spouse is not on board with that, you don't need to move. Because let me tell you something. God is telling you, don't do this. Don't do this. There's some things I've wanted to do, some purchases I've wanted to, to try to make, and Susanna's like, I'm not on board with that. I'm not on board with that. And I'm like, ah, yes, yes. And I know. I've got to, like, she's not on board. We can't, we, we, we can't do that. The story of our adoption. God put the seed of adoption in Suzanne's heart before it was put in my heart. So she was talking about adoption, adoption, adoption. She's like, hey, we, we should adopt, we should adopt. You know, maybe God's telling us to adopt. And I'm like, um, hold on. I'm not, I'm not there yet. So she did not, like, go, go to, um, you know, the pro- through the process of going through adoption without me. And so if you're trying to do something and, and they're not fully on board, then they need to stop in your track. You need to wait. You all need to pray about it. Okay? Um, however, if you are someone who, who never takes a little bit of risk, you know, to follow God, it takes risk. I mean, this church alone is a huge risk. It is. And not just by us, it's by everyone here. It's a, it's a risk. And so, but God has called us to do this. And so if God's calling you as a couple to do something, then if you're not a risk taker, pray that God would give you the faith to take the risk and that God would speak to you together. But let me tell you something. Don't blame the other person for mistakes. Be unified in your mistakes. And then the fourth area is Purity. Purity. You know, the church is pure, and I love this in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her, the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. So purity is an attribute of the relationship 
with Christ and the church. So how can we have purity within our relationship? Well, number one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. When you decide at the altar, at the marriage ceremony, that you're going to say with your spouse, you're telling everyone there and God, look, I'm already forgiving this person for anything this person will ever do to me through sickness and in health, for good or worse, till death do us part. You're telling everybody, you know what? You might do some things down the road, but I'm already going to forgive you. I'm forgiving you right here. Do you know something? That's what Jesus did for us. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for you before you were even born? He already for, he's already forgiven you of your sins. That forgiveness is there. And so for, for there to be, for there to be um, purity in a relationship, we need to have forgiveness for one another. Another thing we need to have is confession. I said that forgiveness is there at the cross, but we've got to confess our sins in order to, to, to receive that forgiveness. We've got to confess our sins because God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. As it says in John, 1 John 1, 9, uh, 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our wrongs, purity is brought into a marriage. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all need to confess in your marriage. I was wrong. I was wrong. I am sorry. Do you know how many marriages can be fixed if people just learn to say that and mean it? To say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Imagine what can happen. It brings purity into your marriage. So forgiveness, we have confession, and we have repentance. You know, confession is, is the first step towards that forgiveness. You receive that forgiveness. But repentance is a life turned away from the sin in your life. So God will look at us, Jesus will look at us and say, is this person a Christ follower? We could tell because they've turned away from sin and they're walking away from it. That's called repentance. In a marriage, you got to have repentance. In a marriage. In a marriage. If you have problems looking at things on the internet that should not be in your heart, should not be in your mind, and you confess that to your spouse and you talk about it, and the way to the way to prove that to your spouse is repent. Repent means I'm done. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'll get counseling. I'll have people praying over me. I, you know, I'll memorize scripture. I'll do whatever it takes for me not to go there. I repent of that. And it, that, I know that's a big thing. It, it, but it can even be small things. It can be small things. If there's things in your marriage that's creeping up that you're doing that really gets under the skin of your spouse, and, you're, and you know it, and you say, you know, I, I, I'm wrong. I'm sorry for doing that. Well, repent. You know how you repent? You turn away, and you stop doing it, and you make every effort to do that. See, that, that brings purity in, 
in your life as a believer, but it also brings purity into your marriage. So do you see how purity is an attribute of the relationship with Christ and his bride, and it can also be an attribute for you and your spouse? Now, you know, there are some things about, about a marriage that you would do in a marriage that you, you know, that you wouldn't do outside of in a marriage, Okay? I mean, obviously, there are some, uh, there are some things in a marriage um, that um, if you were to do it outside of uh, your spouse, your wife, and your husband, it would not be good. Like, for instance, this past week, I sent my wife a text. I'm not going to share with you what that text said. <clears throat> but the next text from my wife says, that was funny, and I've just deleted it because I don't want my kids to see it. <laughs> And the reason why, I, you know, if I were to send that text to anybody else in this world, it would be wrong. But within the confines of marriage, it's right. It's sacred. And it's fun. And it's okay. It's okay. So purity in your life, purity in your relationship with Christ and purity in your marriage is something uh, is an attribute that we all need. And the last one is brokenness. Brokenness. You know, whenever we come to Christ, we realize we're broken. We are broken people. We're broken by our sin. And, and we realize that without Christ, without a Savior, I'm a messed up person. And so, that is the first step in confessing our sin to Jesus, is to realize that we are broken people. And Jesus understands that. Jesus gets that. And he loves that, he, that you come to him with brokenness in your heart, wanting to have healing and wanting to make something beautiful of your brokenness. Do you know the cross of Jesus Christ can make your brokenness beautiful? Well, the same can be said for your marriage. You come into your marriage as broken people. Why? Because there's sin in the world. You may have brought certain things into your marriage that are causing some brokenness. And, and to be able to understand and to be able to live with one another with that brokenness. You know, the idea of like, can you lay down who you thought I was and love the me that is? Can we take this from where we are now and realize that I can't be that person? Only God is gonna be able to make this work and broken people can't fix themselves. It takes three. It takes another person. And broken people can be broken together. Broken people can be broken together. You know, there's something beautiful about stained glass. I like stained glass. We see it in churches. We see it in uh, huge cathedrals. And we have these beautiful stained glass. But whenever we walk in this life and we have brokenness in our life, we have brokenness 
with some of the choices we make even before we get married. And you bring these into your marriage. And sometimes this brokenness can cause some damage. Sometimes it can be hurtful. But you need to understand that as we come to Christ and as we give him our brokenness, together he can make something beautiful out of our brokenness. And you know, some people have brokenness that's caused by others. And some people have brokenness caused by the choices in their life. But just like these beautiful stained glass pieces that are now broken and are now hanging out in your marriage, they can be made beautiful again. These pieces can be made beautiful again.